0: Hello, and welcome to one of our holiday editions of the ALS Association Greater Philadelphia Chapter podcast. I'm your host, as always, Tony Heil, the Director of Communications and Public Policy here at the Greater Philadelphia Chapter. We're coming up to almost a full year of our podcast series, and if you've been listening in in the past, you've heard from people with ALS, like Karen Delaney-Shidalev and others. You've heard from legislators like Brian Cutler from Pennsylvania. You've heard from caregivers. You've heard from staff like Wendy Barnes, who we're going to talk about a bit today, uh, and Jim Pinciotti, our executive director, and you've heard from uh, people from a wide variety of backgrounds who are tackling the disease that we know as ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, and today we have a special guest, as all of our guests are special, uh, her name is Karen Stoll, and she's here with her husband, though her husband has pledged not to talk a whole lot, so he's just going to be the random laugh in the background occasionally if we say something funny, and that's, which is fine. Um, in the meantime. You can learn more about how to fight ALS on our website, ALSPhiladelphia.org. You can subscribe and comment on iTunes. Uh, look for the ALS podcast or ALS Philadelphia All in Word on iTunes to subscribe to all of our 40 plus episodes uh, and help us build an audience that way, which will help spread awareness. And we're going to be talking about the importance of ALS awareness today. And you can also like us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, and Vine, and a um, and a few other things, I think, out there on social media. And of course, donate and volunteer and advocate at uh, www.alsphiladelphia.org. So uh, today's episode um, is going to be focused mostly on caregiving and the importance of family. And the holiday time is a really a special time to be talking about family and caregiving and how ALS affects more than just the person who is diagnosed with a disease. And my guest, Karen Stahl, is going to be, has a long history of understanding ALS and personal experience. So Karen, thank you for joining us to talk about it today.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here.
0: So Karen, before we start, um, where are you from?
1: I live in Ambler, Uh Pennsylvania.
0: Which is convenient because that's where we are.
1: (laughs) I'm only five minutes away from your office and Mm -hmm. so that has made it just really uh, in some ways uh, uh, a blessing for me because I've been able to be in contact with your chapter, and from time to time, I offer my help, volunteer, and that's always rewarding for me.
0: And, and we appreciate anyone that's going to come volunteer for us no matter what they're able to do, so thank you for that. And so, tell us a little bit about your um, how ALS came into your life.
1: In the fall of 2000, my younger brother Glenn um, expressed to me that he was having trouble speaking. He couldn't get his words out properly. He was having trouble at work communicating with his colleagues. And um, I said, you know, you really need to go to the doctor, and which he eventually did because it did get worse. And sadly, though, the doctor just said, well, you're under stress. And he didn't give him much direction. And when I talked to him after his visit, I said, Glenn, this sounds to me neurological. If you can't get your words out right, you need to go to a neurologist. The result was that his doctor didn't feel he needed to, and so he wouldn't give him a referral. Mm. So at that point, I said to him, look, you either need to change your doctor or call your insurance company and see if they can help you out. He chose to call his insurance company, and the result was... That they just took over the situation, contacted his doctor, and he was referred to a neurologist at that point. Well, that's... And that was in the fall of 2000. And then in, with all the different steps being tested, uh, the final result was that he was diagnosed in the spring of 2001.
0: So it took a few AALIS. months. It did. And that's normal. We've heard of some people that took years even mm. uh, with, mm-hmm. with slower prognosis. Yes. Um, now, I was talking in a most recent podcast with uh, Andrew Miller, and people can, again, find that on our website, org or on iTunes. But he and others that I've met along the way who have ALS have mentioned that their symptoms were just weird to them because they were Hmm. healthy or, you know, when you think you're sick, you think of a cough or some pains, but it sounds like those symptoms were not so much painful as odd to your brother. Mm -hmm. Is that a good way of putting it?
1: Correct. Yes. And he, uh, he didn't express that he was having, he felt more tired. Okay. That was the only other thing along with the speech
0: Mm -hmm. issue
1: that really caused him to be concerned that he didn't have, his energy level was, and his breathing seemed to be an issue, you know.
0: Well, and it's a good thing to have someone out there that's going to talk to you, uh, talk to your brother, and that being you in this case. Uh, And one of the things we were talking about before we started this podcast is um, you need to have people who are going to kind of probe a little further. Um, Mm -hmm. You don't know what you don't know. So, I imagine for someone like your brother, and for a lot of people, they have symptoms, and well, no one told me it was bad, so I must right. I must be right. overthinking it. Um, I must be under stress, like you said, and, mm-hmm. and it might just get worse, whether it's ALS or something else, because the symptoms can sometimes not manifest themselves in a way you understand.
1: Well, there was a little time period in there from the time that I said to him that it sounded neurological to me. Right. Uh, Until he actually really uh, took the step to do something more about it. Mm -hmm. Because he he was also seeing that his speech was getting worse. Right. So, you know, the time factor, as you mentioned earlier, often stretches out because of the way um, the symptoms uh, are shown. Or just not getting the help maybe from the medical field that you hoped you could get
0: right and you said something neurological but you probably didn't know much about ALS at the I time I didn't
1: it's just that for me if you can't pronounce words or speech uh, <laughs> is going that sounds more serious to me than maybe some other symptom that you might have you right know?
0: so And I mean even a few years before 2000 2001 people might not even think neurological because mm. they're like oh well it was something else or maybe you have you've have some sort of jaw issue or something, because, you know, you think of things that are physical when you think of something sick as opposed to neurological. That's right. Uh, So it must have been frustrating to you and your brother that Mm -hmm. people didn't recognize what it was and take it more seriously more quickly.
1: Yeah, it was, and that's when I, I, I really would say that I probably got a little adamant at one point when he kept giving me this information that he wasn't getting help. And I, I said, you know, you need to take the steps to find out exactly what, you know, either a different doctor or an insurance, different insurance, something. And uh, I offered my help at that point. But the, he, he then, at that point, after that conversation, he took the initiative to call his insurance company, and they gave him help, thankfully.
0: Well, we've been talking a lot the past month or so about caregivers, family caregivers, professional caregivers, in-home care. And it's really important when we think about people who are caregivers, and you were that, Mm -hmm. um, and are still. I don't want to say that. No, Um, I was at that time. And Mm -hmm. that you're not only just someone that's providing some sort of medical care, but you you become an advocate. And you were were an advocate first and foremost for your brother um, to get stuff done.
1: Right, right. And I had to step up to that several times in my caregiving. Not my personality to do that. Some people are... I don't know, what should I say, their personalities, are that they will step into a situation and advocate for themselves or someone else. I tend to be a little bit more reticent about that. But that's one of the things that I, I think I learned to do in caring for my brother because they need an advocate. And one of those situations was when he got worse and he moved to the hospice care, and he needed, uh, They, because of their regulations, they wanted him to change his equipment to a different company that helped him with his breathing, um, his BiPAP and all of that. And he had been on this same equipment ever since, even before he had gotten really uh, bad in the sense that right from the start his breathing was a problem and it helped him to sleep at night and that kind of thing they said we absolutely cannot change let him stay on the equipment that he has and I had to go through quite a few people in the hospice situation till I got to the top I said look I found I said I you probably don't deal with a lot of ALS people. You probably are dealing maybe more with people who have cancer, end of life, and that kind of thing. But I said, you need to think and find out more about the ALS patient and how important it is if he's or she is doing well on the equipment that they have, how important that is that they could stay on that. And you need to change your rules. Right. For them, <laughs> and it took a while, but the day came when they called me and said, "Yes, he can keep the the equipment and the company that he's on." Now, took a while. Was that easy for me? At first, it was very hard. Each time, I had to make a different call, call and try to talk to. It. Well, who's o- who's your supervisor? Who's mm-hmm. over you? I want to talk to that person. And in the end, I was or we were rewarded with the fact that they they made the, the change and the exception so that the ALS per, and I and, and I'm trying to make it clear I'm not just doing this for my brother, although
0: he obviously was obviously he number was, one.
1: Right, he was the priority. But hopefully I this will provide the help for others that right. also need this same change so that um, their need can be met.
0: And that's something you never thought you'd end up doing before never that? Never
1: thought about that at all.
0: And you were talking about how you learned to be a, a caregiver a caregiver, and advocate and a forceful one at that when needed um, because of your connection to the ALS Association and that the ALS Association hopefully was helpful um, and so taught you a bit about the disease but also a bit about what you would have to expect and how what you could do to prepare and and, and be in this role.
1: Correct. Correct. Uh, when my brother was first diagnosed, I was still working. I was on support staff <clears throat> in uh, the Wissaken School District. In an elementary school, I assisted a librarian. So he was diagnosed in spring. Um, I did not go to give him care. I did, I did not go to his home to give him care until the school year was ended. But in that time, from when he was diagnosed into June, the chapter had several um, workshop kind of things uh, for, for people who were caregivers, to give them help in understanding the disease and what was involved. And it was at that session that I was made aware that even if I had to be involved in the medical uh, field of doctors and nurses, they, might not, they may not know hardly anything about ALS. Right. So that when I walked into the hospital that uh, time when he needed help for breathing and the nurse there said to me exactly what, A- what is ALS, I was not totally shocked by that because the chapter had prepared me for some of those kinds of things that might be in my caregiving experience.
0: And that was important and because so ALS can be so surprising.
1: Was, right. It was very important. And, um, and then just along the way, just making me aware in those sessions what was available to me as a caregiver when I needed help.
0: And, 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 and that made it, you less stressed. Exactly. that put you very, a bit at ease. It was
1: very helpful. And um, always uh, the, the help that was given, the suggestions, and later equipment that was provided, although from the very start, when I was in ambler, my brother lived in the Lehigh Valley, he couldn't call me on the phone very easily and be able to, for me to understand what he was saying. He had the equipment that he could type in what he was saying, and then it recorded and spoke to me on the phone through that way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so that was several months in there until I actually moved up to take care of him, and that was real, that was really helpful too. So there was that kind of support later on with equipment that the chapter helped me to have for him.
0: Yeah, we talk about all the communication devices and the work that Elisa Brownlee is doing with assistive technology. Lisa, yes. But she was there then, 15 years ago, because she's been with the chapter for around 20 years. She she was
1: in, in his home. She came up several times to uh, check the equipment or to bring some equipment
0: for him, yes. And it's really... Great to me as someone who, my, my grandfather passed away from ALS. Hmm. Uh, and so coming here and seeing people like Elisa and Wendy, who we'll talk about in a minute. But um, Wendy Barnes, who mm-hmm. have been around for a while. And they still see you or hear the story. They're like, oh, I remember that. And they've seen hundreds of people with right. ALS and family members. Thousands, maybe, probably. Right. Um, especially for Elisa, who's been here for 20 years. And I just pointed that out so if Elisa's listening, she'll she'll feel <laughs> old. She's not old.
1: I do remember her. I think she
0: started at the age of 15. Um, <laughs> but she, uh, you know, it's really neat that they remember people so well, mm-hmm. so long after the fact. Whether they cared for them for like, for years or for just a couple visits. Mm. Yeah. So you must have felt a good connection early on. Because I did.
1: Brought- I did. I felt a very good connection of, of everything that I did in caregiving. This chapter was my source of encouragement, source of giving me answers to things that could be answered, mm-hmm. um, informing me of the areas that would be difficult, and maybe I wouldn't always be able to be the person to help my brother out. You know, that kind of thing. And that's probably very important because. It it is, because otherwise you beat yourself up. Yeah. That I'm not doing enough. Yeah. And, um.
0: uh, I I, know for myself, I always want to be able to answer everything. Oh,
1: sure. You want. And a loved one there that's struggling like that, Mm -hmm. you want to fix it. Yeah. You want to fix it, and you can't. Yeah. And, um, uh, that kind of support from the chapter was so helpful for me, actually. It really was. And I I might mention, you mentioned my husband is sitting here too. Uh, He was, I was uh, blessed in having someone else alongside me to help me along the way. Some people are doing it alone. Mm -hmm. But I do want to say that I was blessed to have him be there for me and to help when I needed the help with my brother and just um, not feeling alone. Right. And. His main job, which he loved, my brother loved golden reti- retrievers, and he had two of them, and so my husband was the one to do the dog walking and <laughs> taking care of them. But so important to Glenn, yeah, because they were they were his children.
0: <laughs> well, I know, so. like I said, my grandfather had ALS. My my, my mother, um, my grandmother, on my mom's side had Parkinson's disease, mm. and. But I know what you're talking about in terms of my dad was a caregiver to my grandfather, but my mom would do certain things that really made it exactly. easier. It was still hard right. for everybody, but there's some things that that person does that makes it easier to be and, that and person. And just
1: even their presence.
0: Right. Yeah. And and I, I'm looking at you and I know the way you're saying that because it's not just their presence of the person sitting in the room, though that's really what your husband's doing right now, uh, but it's their being present. For you and, yes. and being there. And you they, can
1: count on them.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that is maybe one of the top caregiving tools is to be fully present as much as mm-hmm. you can.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Um, so
1: I I, I I might add at this point that uh, I, I also was blessed in that I, I had a cousin who was a, a nurse, uh, didn't live close by, uh, actually lived in Maryland, but she periodically gave me... Gave us a weekend. It happened two or three times in, mm-hmm. in, while I was caregiver, where she would come and stay with him for the weekend, and I could go home to Ambler, have a little bit of break. And I would just say, if you know of anybody in your family or in your life that could, from time to time, even if it's a, an evening, or you know, give you that, just kind of a little. A break so that you come back a little bit more refreshed and ready to care for your loved one again. Why well, um, take the opportunity and do it. Yeah,
0: you, know? you learned how important it is to care for the caregiver. And I imagine the time that you volunteered for the past 15 years and been a part with the chapter, you've made that an important part of it, too, is, is if there's someone with ALS, like your brother Glenn, there's someone that's caring for them, so I'm going to make sure yeah. that that person's right. getting some attention too because they need it.
1: Right, exactly. And you, I think in one of our conversations we talked about, um, uh, you know, just how, that, how ALS impacted uh, my perspective on life. And I, I think I'm more aware of people around me who have disabilities in ways that I didn't, I I just didn't think as much about it before. Right. And my immediate response is, uh, we have actually two friends who um, have some disabilities. And when I'm around them, I'm just thinking all the time about what kind of help they need, you know, like whether it's walking or helping up and down steps and that kind of thing. And the whole experience with my brother has just made me more aware of the the person who is in need like that and how important it is just to take the time for them and to be present and, and, and and help them if you can or just let them know that you care, you know, so that, um, and the things you realize that the things that you've taken for granted, maybe for years of walking, speaking, you know, just those things that we just accept. Um, it kind of, for me, it humbled me and brought about a new appreciation and gratitude for the gifts that we have in that way and that some people don't have them.
0: I know. I, know, so, I feel the same way a lot of the time, whether here or just from experiencing things in like my own you, family. In your
1: family. You Correct. Know. Yeah. It's just, it, it just does give you a different perspective, a different outlook on life.
0: You take the time to be patient. and And then you were talking about all the symptoms that your brother had. You, again, probably see someone that has a disability and realize that they may have something, some needs beyond just, can you get me up that step, or can you grab that for me? They might need something beyond that that someone else may be good-hearted but doesn't see. Mm -hmm. So you're able to just be a little bit more present for those other intrinsic things.
1: Well, I have an example of that, too, just recently. One of these friends of mine... um, just in chatting with her, and I think I had asked her if I could, she was going from one place to another, and if I could be of any help. And when we were done with the conversation, she just said, thank you for talking to me. She said, I'm just so lonely sometimes. And just so, just that whole area of friendship, mm-hmm. and feeling lonely, you know, it can be a very special time for that person who has the disability.
0: Yeah, and that's a really important thing that being there for people. One of our patients who passed away a couple of years ago, uh, Catherine Voigt, um, one, she did a lot of advocacy and I went to DC. Her picture from mm. our chapter was still at the national office, so they're okay. still thinking about her. Um, but she wrote about how she just wanted to, the importance of being touched, just, you know, a hand right. on the shoulder or a hug. and right. She was right. in a wheelchair and I didn't know her as well because I was only around her a few times since I but other people here knew her very well. because She had had ALS for a while. Mm. Um, but you know, reading her poetry on the importance of being touched was important, and mm. just giving someone a hug or giving someone a pat sure. and letting them yeah. know that you're you're not standoffish, like oh, I don't know how to deal with you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. type of thing. So I'm sure your your way of embracing people um, has been affected as well.
1: Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm.
0: So um, one thing we. I didn't get to mention, though, is that your brother was a military veteran, right?
1: He was. He was in the Air Force. Uh, he served in, uh, during the Vietnam War. He was not in Vietnam. But um, uh, he was um, – he didn't retire from the service he was in for 10 years. But um, he was connected with the uh, medical facility uh, in the Lehigh Valley for veterans um and when he was diagnosed, he still went there a few times uh, until in I was with him one of the times and when he was I had an appointment with a doctor, and they were discussing his needs at that point having ALS. And they just both agreed that um, there wasn't, uh, too much that the veterans could help him with at that point, it would be better for him to continue on with his ALS doctor Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and the connections he had with the chapter and some of the people who were, uh, more experienced with the disease and also could be of more help to him than they could. I think they were basically saying they didn't deal with it a lot. Now that, I know... From articles, I've read that more and more veterans are diagnosed with ALS, and they're wondering what the connection is with that. And I don't know, maybe to now 15 years later, maybe some of these places that serve the veterans are more aware and are helping them more. I I really don't know.
0: Well, hopefully you you're like this. Yes, there are a lot more things happening for veterans. My grandfather was a veteran, okay. too. He, he served in... Uh, at the end of World War II up in Alaska and uh which is always weird to me because my my grandfather I love him but he seemed like a he, he, very goofy in a lot of ways and yeah he was like spying on the Russians I think or um somehow uh and he served during Korea um but mostly during peacetime around then so he wasn't in combat also but there was a military connection there mm-hmm. And I think it was even after he passed away that it was um, declared that it was 100% disability for people who are military veterans Hmm. with ALS. And with diseases, there's usually like a percentage of disability with the military, um, or only in certain periods. Like if you were in the Gulf War, then certain people got a disease then. But ALS, you're 100% disabled if you're a veteran, no matter when and how you served. Mm -hmm. And that means that they get uh, very good care and lots of support that they wouldn't otherwise. And uh, we even have one of our, uh, Brenda, our director of patient services, goes to a uh, vet clinic for, vet, for people with ALS in our oh, area okay. and helps out. So we're doing a lot hmm. more with veterans than we did 15 years ago. And uh, the Department of Defense is doing research and research funding, which is important. So a lot of things are happening because That's of great. veterans' connection, including your brother. So
1: Where is the clinic? Is that in the area, you should say? Yeah, it's, there's
0: one in the area oh, here. Okay. And then there's other, there's other things with the um, Paralyzed Veterans of America and, and other VA centers that yeah. are doing things for people with ALS and they're understanding it more. Uh, my friend Dave, who had ALS and passed away from the Hershey area, hmm. he went to the Hershey Medical Center Clinic, but he also did some stuff with the veterans there. That added to the help, mm-hmm. and what's been great for us on an advocacy purpose is there've been a lot of vets who say, "I get a lot of things because I'm a vet," and so I'm going to work to help others, just like you were helping people mm. beyond just your brother. They're like, "I
1: mm-hmm. know I get
0: these things; everyone should get it too." So that's a good positive thing that that's, has that's happened. That's really
1: great changed. to hear. Yeah, that is good.
0: It's not good that veterans are getting ALS, but at least the, the VA you know and that, other they're, are doing that they're
1: stuff. giving support yeah. and help. Yeah.
0: So. Um, so I'm glad about that. Now, we were also talking about um, the Elisa Brownlee saying that she came to his house and helped him with things. Mm-hmm. And there's, it's great that she's still here 15 years later helping in the cause. Um, but there are other staff members that you are that still in touch with, mm-hmm. one of whom just happened to walk by while we're recording this, and that's Wendy Barnes. Right. And she did a podcast so you can listen to on her iTunes feed as well. But So what, what did Wendy do for you?
1: Well... My brother was attending her support group before I even came up to take care of him. Mm -hmm. So he was already connected with some of the other ALS people in the group. And um, from the very first time I went, I could just tell and feel the bond that there was between Mm -hmm. both the patients and also the good interaction that there was that uh, Wendy provided for the group. And um, we went there on a regular basis and even when he couldn't get out of the house anymore, when he was confined um, because of mobility, um, I still attended and uh, received a lot of support and encouragement in those sessions. And what was really great is People, other caregivers, some of the struggles they run into or maybe how they solved something that made it easier in the caregiving. And and just the um, uh, support, not only to, to feel it um, from the chapter and from Wendy, which was really great, um, but also how understanding the others are in, this, in the group Because they're going through the same thing as you are. right? And so I would just encourage anybody who's a caregiver to get involved with one. It's like a weight coming
0: off your shoulders, right?
1: Yeah. If there's one in your area and you can attend, go. Because it's a very helpful, uh, positive experience, a time to unburden your own heart and what you're going through and receive the encouragement and affirmation that you need to keep going. Yeah. and not give up on things. And that's important and
0: that you said the affirmation because you're learning as you go along as a caregiver. Absolutely. And it's important to have someone say, "No, that sounded ridiculous what I what you did. <laughs> like, oh, you duct taped that or you yeah. you used that to eat, but it was a really great idea." And then you feel that puts you at ease and someone tells you, "No, you're doing a better job than you realize."
1: Well, one of the things that really I remember the most um, was after Glenn passed away. He passed away uh, a couple days before Thanksgiving in 2002, and I believe uh, the first or second week of December was the scheduled um, support group. I was very, very upset at that point, of course. It was just a short time after he passed away. But what was upsetting to me is I had been called during early morning by my husband, who we had taken turns being with him in the room. He was having really trouble. He was really having trouble breathing, and I had medication. He had a feeding tube that I uh, would give to him for these times. And both of us, he sat back in his chair afterward, and I went back for another hour or two of sleep in a room across the hall, my husband stayed in the room and he fell asleep too there because he thought Glenn was sleeping. When I got up at 7, in, about 7 in the morning, and I looked in the room and walked in, I could see that he was gone because of his complexion. And yeah, you could tell. I could just tell. Okay. And plus you were so, ready
0: for it in a way. Like you knew this was something that well, maybe you were ready that I knew they that could day.
1: happen. But here's the thing. It wasn't as sudden here's as Here's the as thing a... that, pro- that I struggled with. I wasn't with him when he passed. So I had these feelings of guilt. And Why didn't I stay up? Why did I go back to bed? And, you know, back and forth. And, of course, all this spilled out in the support group. There was a woman sitting a few chairs away from me who had ALS. She couldn't speak anymore. After I finished... Unburning myself in puddles of tears, <laughs> she passes me a note mm. and it says, Karen, please don't feel guilty, don't feel bad that you weren't there at that moment. We who have ALS know how much our caregivers love us and how they have sacrificed to care for us. You do not need to feel this way. I know it's hard, but please don't. That was the healing I needed at the moment. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And to keep, when these feelings would come over me after that, it was the memory that I had of this woman who had ALS and was going through all kinds of adaptations herself with her disease, passing me that note. It was a gift, it was truly a gift. You know, to me at that and it helped in the healing process the grieving process yeah. that must take place in a healthy way and the being in that support group at that time i look back and say that that was probably the key to the healing that i needed after he was gone
0: well we talk about all of the uh services we provide, and a lot of things I could put a number on. Like, oh, mm-hmm. this wheelchair costs X amount. But so many people talk about the support groups as the number one thing that connects them to the chapter. Absolutely. And uh, it was almost like your brother was the one talking to you at that time. Because, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, he was talking through that person. Through that
1: person, absolutely. And and she, I, I don't know for sure, but that kind of rings a bell with me that she may have said, Glenn knew yeah. how much you cared for him. I think that was part of her note,
0: and she was so, probably really sincere. about it. she she had been there. So obviously, absolutely. she was sincere from her end, but she knew how Glenn absolutely. felt.
1: Absolutely, it was it was the best best thing that could have happened to me, and I just was ever ever so grateful for that. Yeah, and uh, uh, and the other thing, it just it was another way of just staying connected with the chapter, and uh, you know the whole. Um, Need, the needs that, like, if there was a need, you could bring it up and Wendy could say, well, contact um, somebody, right. you know, for the equipment or for mm-hmm. the help that you might. This is the person at the chapter who, who could help you with that. Mm-hmm. And that was an, another good uh, way to receive the help and that you need when you're a caregiver. Great. So, so you know, staying connected in a support group provides that avenue for you
0: so you're getting a lot more out of it than you even put in and right, you're getting those connections that absolutely. that have helped you 15 years later. Well, yeah, for example well, like 13 like a, <laughs> years later. Yeah, uh,
1: I mean something that the chapter would have offered outside of a support group, you might not even know it. So you wouldn't think to call right. the office and ask for it cuz oh, so in a support group a person like Wendy might say um you know oh we can help you with that we have such and such a person or we have this equipment or whatever and then give you the help to make that connection so that you can get the help so that's another good reason for being involved in support
0: group because you don't know what you don't know i, and I exactly. i've told the story on our podcast a bunch of times i talk about my grandmother on my mom's side my grandfather on my dad's side having two different diseases and my mom had a medical background a bit so she knew questions to ask and mm. Uh, not that she knew everything, but she kind of knew the things to to look into it. My grandmother too had a she was she worked in a lab, so she knew a lot of things too. Mm-hmm. My dad didn't have a background in that; he worked in finance stuff. So, okay, <laughs> good person, but he didn't know what he didn't know. Yeah, exactly. So he exactly. he would have benefited from those groups, and I think and he did. He did, was part of that where he was a, a little bit to ask things that he would never have thought to ask because why mm-hmm. would you mm-hmm. unless you go through it, right? So that's what um, you learn then, you know, 15 years later, what would you want to tell others about being a caregiver? or um, obviously, you want them to join support groups um, if they can. Uh, but are there any other tips or things that you'd like to give for advice?
1: Well, um, as I thought about that, you know the one thing was to uh, take advantage of all the help that the AL- ALS association, is willing to give you, is there for you. And, um, people, they hesitated to do that, uh, for whatever reasons. I, I, I don't know that I know what the specific things were, but maybe they weren't a person who liked to ask for help. It's hard for a lot of people. Yeah. So, but just, you know, try to break those things down and just take advantage of getting the help. And, um, uh, you know, just do the best you can, don't be too hard on yourself. Uh, it's so easy to go down that road, and as I said, you might have guilt feelings and that kind of thing, um, and you just need the encouragement, and um, and often the place that you will get that is being in a support group and having a connection with uh, the ALS Association, the chapter where they understand the disease, they can give you the help, but they also understand the caregiver and what the caregiver needs to know and to provide the help you know that they, they have a bit available. And I think I mentioned earlier, if it's possible, and I know sometimes it's not, um, for a while, uh, let me finish my, sen- my thought, if it's possible, if you can get a break from time to time, for someone else to come in and take care of your your loved one. It's really important if you can find people who will do that. And sometimes a connection with um, the ALS Association can help you to find that. I did for a while. uh, I was asked, I can't even remember who it was, somebody from your chapter. There was a young woman whose elderly mom was taking care of her. And with her ALS, and just from time to time, this mom just needed somebody to come in for a while or for a night, just Mm -hmm. during the night, so she could get a full night of sleep. It was more toward the end of this girl's life, young woman's life. And um, so there's opportunities, too, for volunteers to connect with the chapter Uh, with the ALS Association and if you're willing to give um, a night or an afternoon or something it's really helpful to the caregiver and so I guess I would say um, ask (laughs) if you're a caregiver and you need that maybe asking in your support group or uh, someone at the chapter might be might be able to give connections of someone you could contact who really cares about people who have ALS, and often they are people who were caregivers before for someone like that, so they understand it. And um, they're willing to give some time here and there to, to do that.
0: Well, th- those are important things, and like you said, and one of the most important is just being open enough to ask and, and accept help along the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we talk about caregivers and families, and, and that brings me to maybe our... Something important is it's the holiday season here. And uh, do you have any special thoughts about your family with your brother or about about knowing what people with ALS go through? Um, and this is uh, Christmas time, but, you know, it happens any sort of holiday time. Maybe even, you know, people are together 4th of July or, like, other things. So that you think about this, what the holiday time means to you. So does it bring up any special thoughts for Well, just
1: that uh, we were a family that got together at special times, and I would say on the whole, uh, um, our, our entire family and Glenn's nieces and nephews were very close to him. It was very hard on them when he got this disease, but always these memory times are the hardest. And often it is like Thanksgiving, Christmas time when um, if you lost a loved one during that time or just when those family times come up that you used to get together, it's very difficult. And the memories seem to be more vivid than they were before. And expect your emotions to just come to the fore. And not, not be not, be embarrassed about it, or or regret it. Right, it's a healthy thing of grieving for that to happen. And um, I remember the first, um, as I mentioned before, uh, Glenn died right before Thanksgiving, and we were into December, and there was a lot of the music for Christmas and specials on TV, and I was watching one musicians sing, and this woman, you could see her tongue, and this might sound really strange, but one of the ways Glenn was identified by his ALS doctor was his tongue, and the way his tongue kind of, like, quivered. Right. So if you've ever seen a vocalist who is a little bit more a, a soprano or something, her mouth is open... And her tongue was shaking like I had seen his when he was in the doctor's office.
0: Mm-hmm. I lost it. Yeah.
1: I just lost it. I just broke into tears over somebody's tongue. Now, that in some ways sounds ridiculous, but it was the memory. Right. It was the connection that mm-hmm. you had with that loved one. Right. And, yes, those that will happen. And in some ways, even though you might feel bad about it, deep down, try to remember that it's a good thing because yeah. it's, it's healing. It's grieving in a healthy way because of the love you had for that person. It's a, that but, law, like, right. yeah, it's a reminder of that love. Like, right. It's a reminder that right, you right, lost, exactly. you
0: were able to care about someone right. and someone right. meant that something that yeah. important to you.
1: Right. There is one, I, I don't know if you have other questions oh, yeah, or yeah, not, but I, I, there, there was one thing that, um, I was just going to share uh, in some ways, I I was blessed uh, because my brother ex- the way he accepted his loss of a he- of, of not having a healthy body anymore, um, he lived out something that um, was the, at the center of his faith. He had a Christian faith, and he accepted what was happening to him in a way that I'm not sure I could have done it but it made the caregiving for me and my husband easier maybe than some people might have it but I just wanted to share it because um, some of, some people who might be acquainted with uh, the Apostle Paul in the Bible he wrote therefore we do not lose heart Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. I was privileged to see the truth of that lived out by my brother Glenn. It was made possible because of his faith. So basically what I saw was even though he was deteriorating on the outside,
0: mm-hmm.
1: he was almost like he was being strengthened within. Right. You know, because of his faith. And It was just a a blessing for me as this caregiver. I'm not sure I could do it. I pray and hope that I could if I was ever in that position. But I just put it out there as that, for me as a caregiver, that was a blessing. And perhaps that might be helpful to somebody who's a caregiver or somebody who has ALS, that even though they see their bodies on the outside deteriorating, um, there can be a strengthening within. In their spirit and it might be what will be the helpful thing to get through what they're going through.
0: Well that's a powerful thing to end on and I think that you know he may have felt stronger and renewed on the inside himself but I'm sure that he helped make sure that you were stronger and renewed in ways that you probably couldn't even realize at the moment and uh, I think that we've seen a lot of people with ALS no matter their background um, that have felt that same way and accomplished things that they would never have thought Uh possible. Uh, So, and and I hope that people can share those stories uh, of, you know, how they're living with ALS or helping someone be a caregiver. Uh, And you can send those stories to me. My email is tony at alsphiladelphia.org. Again, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, Look up the ALS podcast at ALS Philadelphia on iTunes. Subscribe, share, comment, um, and donate and get involved. Uh, Karen is very involved in the ALS Association volunteering and doing other things here. Uh, You can find a lot of ways to do that all at ALSPhiladelphia.org. Thanks, Karen, for being part of the podcast. I really enjoyed your story.
1: You're very welcome, Tony. I was happy to be here.
0: And uh, have a Merry Christmas. I wish you the same. Thank you very much. And, And again, we hope you all have a good holiday season and Happy New Year.